94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. Once again, on the line, the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you for joining us. Man, it's been an action-packed week, as, of <laughs> course, obviously, all through the pandemic. Um, let's start off with vaccines here. Um, so now Hawaii is opening up to 50 and up, with appointments starting up uh, and uh, eligibility starting on Monday, and then 16 and up the next week, per President Biden's uh, direction. I'm wondering, are we going to have enough shots to cover all this? Because there's that problem with the Johnson & Johnson vaccines uh, slowing down because of that mix-up at the factory. What's the kind of over the broad view of what's happening with vaccines right now? So the broad view is we do have some vaccine stockpile in the state. So we have a leg up on this accelerated plan, which I'm very happy about. I'm, I'm excited to see 50-year-olds get vaccinated starting Monday and everyone 16 and up. That's Pfizer is the 16 and up. Everyone else does 18 and up uh, on the following Monday on the, 20, uh, the 19th. rather. We won't be able to sign up everybody on day one, of course, some people, when they go to the website, will end up getting an appointment three days later. Others will get it a week later. But we will begin to have a method to have everyone know when, with certainty, they can sign up. And I think that based on availability, people are going to be able to get signed up and get their vaccine. We will get about 200,000 doses over the course of these next three weeks. That gives us a lot of vaccine. Remember, we can only do about 100,000 a week as far as physically do the shots based on what we've been doing. So it's just going to be steady, but now there will be some certainty for people. Makes That's sense. Awesome. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Are you Now, this is coming just as cases are starting to ramp up locally and nationally and globally, and people are talking about a possible fourth surge of coronavirus. So we had triple digits yesterday, new cases, 122, mm-hmm. three more deaths. And I'm just wondering now, you know, we just went through this thing with uh, the city requesting to stay in Tier 3 for at least another month. Is this is this wise? Do you think that was a wise move? Uh, it's a very tough call. You know, I do have to defer to the mayor and the governor to make that decision. But let me give some perspective. Uh, our seven-day average this last week was 95. The seven-day average the week before on on April 1st was 98, actually. So believe it or not, our seven-day average was lower these last seven days. But the seven-day average on the 23rd of March was just 74. And the seven-day average on the 16th of March was 53. So for perspective, we are higher. The difference is, and this is the difference in their calculation, at least the mayor's calculation, our hospitalization numbers have been lower based on the number of total cases because our kupuna haven't been catching COVID. Younger people have. That doesn't mean everyone is safe. Of the three fatalities, uh, two were in their 60s and one was in their 30s. So Mm. COVID can be very severe for younger people, but had all three of those cases, plus say another 10 cases, uh, been individuals say in their 70s or 80s, you'd see more fatalities. So overall, we get safer each week as far as the severity of the disease. And it is really a balance that is being struck by the governor and the mayors as to you know, how much longer we can stay shut, how many more businesses can close, how many more thousands of people would decide they have to leave Hawaii versus are we happy enough that now, well, 888,722 shots have been given. That's over halfway. We're probably about 55% of the way to herd immunity. And we're ramping up. So these are the balances, and I think everyone has to judge for themselves whether it's safe enough. I still say this. Everyone out there, 
please still wear a mask and socially distance. These next few months are going to be very telling. If we're masked up and we're doing 100,000 shots per week, our case counts will come way down, just like they did for our Kupuna. Our hospitalizations will come way down, just like they have consistently when only younger people are, in general, catching the disease. But if we had um, taken a more alarmist position, sure, we would have gone back to Tier 2. It's nothing that was decided by the mayor and the governor prevents people from behaving like we're in Tier 2. Go to the restaurant only when you feel comfortable. Go to a bar only when you, you know, feel that it can be safe. Go to a social gathering only when you feel people are masking up appropriately. That's something that we control. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this sort of, uh, I guess you could almost think of the, uh, you know, the the governor did approve staying in tier three for at least four more weeks, even though the cases are above the current tier. It would have called for us to go back to tier two this week. Um, right. What is what is to happen in the next few weeks? I We understand that there has been some consideration of adding vaccines and hospitalizations to the possible criteria for the tier system. Um, do you think those things should be considered in deciding then moving forward, you know, what tier we're in? Yes, I'd say right now they're already informally being considered because when I brief the mayor and the, and the governor and the team, I always include our hospitalization numbers down to the hospital, the exact rate, uh, where the cases are. So that really is happening. And then the vaccination number is also something that I I emphasize every time. So those two variables are very meaningful. In four weeks, which will be uh, essentially like, I think, May 7th or so, we will have done 1.2 million shots, it looks like, given our current uh, vaccination uh, pace. And at 1.2 million shots, we will be two-thirds of the way there. That will mean that case counts will start dropping very significantly from age like 45 to 60. Those are the, the people that will now get finished and the people that are just scheduling themselves to get opened up on the 19th of April uh, will be getting their first, they will have had their first shot most likely, which provides, it looks like 60% immunity now based on the latest data. So I think that all things considered, we will probably be seeing lower counts and there will not be a large concern about going back to uh, tier two. It's hard to know though. You know, there are the variant questions. We now feel that at least I'm hearing this through lots of different channels, that the UK variant is the prominent one that will be with us. It is more contagious, but if you've been vaccinated, you're basically fine. So it's just a lot of different variables, Esme, and I, I, I got to tell you, we're managing a great public health challenge. There is no, there's no silver bullet that is the right or wrong answer. It's a management problem, and we have to be as careful as can be And actually, we have to be somewhat um, uh, practical. You have to be a little bit practical because you know that when people have no money, they get desperate. When people have no job, they leave Hawaii. When people can't afford for their kids to be in school, it drives everyone nuts. So it's it's a a big process, and I wish I had a, a good answer for everybody. I can only give my best answer for the state. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I, I noticed when they did the news thing about the whole keep it at tier three, it was mm-hmm. the mayor has negotiated with the governor to keep it at tier three. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could give us, if you don't mind spilling us some tea about that, because I, I found <laughs> yeah. that interesting that they said the mayor negotiated to get to tier three. That's an interesting way to pose the question. I like it. So um, here's the way it really works. The, um, the governor 
has to ultimately make any decisions that are going to impact the entire state. And that's the structure we set up. So the mayors come to the governor with their proposals of what they feel is right for each county. And since they're slightly closer to the ground for their constituencies, they you know give tons of input and they can share what the local people, the local hospitals, the local businesses all are thinking even more closely than the governor has an opportunity to get. But ultimately, that decision has to be made uh, by the emergency proclamation, which is run by the governor and the attorney general and me and General Hara. So that's how that goes, which means when they use the word negotiation, they're they're balancing what the mayor wants for his or, you know, uh, for his, in this case, they're all guys, I guess, uh, county each in each case and what the governor is willing to do when the Department of Health and the director of health weighs in. And I'll tell you, they. You know, the health department almost always tends, and this is fine, to have a, a zero-tolerance policy for any cases. That's not realistic uh, because you will have some cases, and everyone knows that, but they also don't want spread, and they are very thoughtful about that. So they're looking at clusters, and they're navigating that. Meanwhile, the mayors feel a ton of pressure to balance opening up with some cases. Another thing is, you know, the state runs health services. The counties don't. But the counties run law enforcement and and have to deal with people who are breaking the rules, and the state doesn't. So it does have to become a negotiation. And in general, I find myself as a mediator mm. in that process. Mm. Yeah, I kind of figured that, like, I don't know who takes the role in that. <laughs> right? Because you got yeah. the mayors going, we want to do this. And you got the governor saying, ah, I don't know about that, because they, they tend to be a little more conservative about it, like you were mentioning. So, ah, interesting. Yeah, so I was wondering who was sitting in the middle going, okay, hang on a second, hang on a second. So thank you for clearing right. that up for me. I appreciate it. I imagine he has to be sort of the bridge between politics and science. Yeah, no, in this, uh, right, in this sort of conversation. Is, which we, yeah. we, when we first started doing this, we kind of talked to him about. Mm-hmm, so uh, mm-hmm, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was just curious. Okay. All right. Thank you for shedding some light on that. Some, just wanted to get some tea on that one. So thank you. <laughs> We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green about COVID 19. Um, sir, I wanted to ask you about you know these uh, national global reports. We are uh, reading about a possible fourth surge of coronavirus. Um, U.S. COVID 19 cases and hospitalizations are increasing again, especially this time for young people. Um, also, you know, na- globally, we're reading reports like, for example, I'm looking at an Associated Press uh, report out of Brazil where the variants are really taking hold there. They have ambulances lined up around the block. They don't even have enough space in hospitals to treat people. And, um, you know, the worry is maybe not on that scale, but do you have a fear about a fourth surge? Is that warranted? I do. I, I, that is absolutely a serious concern that I have. And that's why every day, in fact, every couple hours, we update our numbers. We see exactly where the, the clusters are. The best thing I could say is the vaccination program has got to be our top priority right now, because no matter what is going on in the world, the surges will be worse if people are not able to vaccinate their countries or their states. That, I think, is pretty clear. Will some of the variants be be more, you know, I guess, infectious, more, more impactful. Of course they will. But all signs point to good protection from the base vaccines that we've got, the, the Pfizer, the Johnson Johnson, and the Moderna. When the ultimate uh, story is told on COVID, and I, I mentioned this slightly before we were just getting on air, people have to realize there are going to be multiple uh, challenges with COVID in 2022, 23, 24. 
Now, we should be well protected because almost all of our people in Hawaii that, that choose to be vaccinated will. The only ones who won't will be if they've got immune systems that don't allow them to get vaccine uh, shots. So there's that. But there's going to be Petri dishes all over the world, sadly. Places like Brazil, places perhaps like India or pockets of China where they don't get uh, vaccines to hundreds of millions of people because it's just too rural or they just can't get them done. Those those countries or those regions are going to get overrun by COVID. And when there are tens of millions or hundreds of millions of cases, that gives the virus a chance to mutate. That As it replicates in the body, it mutates and you'll get different strains. So we're going to study those strains and use our booster shot to make sure we don't get outbreaks again in the United States. But I also think, and that may not be necessarily material for our listeners this morning, but I'm happy to share it, is I think there are going to be global uh, immunization initiatives, probably from the Gates Foundation, probably from other major vaccine entities, World Health Organization, others going all over the world to help the, basically there's 8 billion people almost in the world now, get vaccinated because we care about them, number one, and two, what they are unable to do will impact Europe, the U.S., the developed world. We will see strains that are nasty if we don't do that. So expect us to get control of COVID. I think by July 4th weekend, we're going to have very good control in our state. But expect research and constant um, assessment of the virus in all the pockets of the world that can't vaccinate people, because ultimately those strains will make their way our direction whether it's travelers or, or just us being out when we're visiting other parts of the world. So we will need some, you know, some additional protection going forward to stop big waves in the future. Okay. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Uh, just a little follow-up question here. As far as those variants go, what kind of numbers are we talking about with regards to the variants, at least here in Hawaii? It's difficult to say. We assess 300 cases a month. We have had uh, a handful of the U.K. variant, the South African variant and the the variant that came out of, I think it was Denmark to California and really became the main variant in California. So there's plenty. There's plenty of UK variants around. Remember, I think I said last week or the week before that it's like a cockroach. If you see three or four of them, you can be sure there's 50 or 70 of them behind some closed door somewhere. Just because that is the actual strain that is a little bit more infectious and it's the one you're more likely to catch. The good news, though, is we've really kept a lid on. Our positivity rate has hovered, let me just give you the last couple of days, 1.75%, 1. 1.74%, 1.83%, 1.81%, 1.82%, 1.84%, almost the same throughout the last five days, 10 days. That means we're not getting a sudden massive change in the, um, the landscape of the virus. But, sure, I would love, love to have case counts get down into 30s to 40s i'd love and i can't wait till our positivity rates under one percent again that's what you're going to see at the end of may and early june when most of our people are vaccinated that's when people are going to say oh good it's basically over and then i can tell you already we're going to have to really remind people to still wear masks and still avoid you know unnecessary risk for a little longer because we just don't want to get some weird variant we don't want to get a pocket of people getting hit hard because they were the people that refused to get vaccinated. We still care deeply about them. They just have a different philosophical opinion about vaccination. Um, sir, wanted to ask you now, uh, since we are talking about vaccines, to talk about the vaccine passport idea. Now, I think over the past couple of weeks when we've had our conversations, I know you were uh, hoping 
you were hopeful that that passport would happen sooner than later. Um, but I think the lieutenant, uh, I'm sorry, the governor, David Ige, this week was saying he's thinking about late summer for a vaccine passport concept. And I'm just wondering, uh, I don't know, do you disagree with that? Do you think it could happen sooner? What has to happen in order for that to uh, become implemented? Well, it looks to me like we should be able to get something in place by May 1st for inter island travel so that you just show your vaccine passport. Uh, I and when I say that, I really mean I'm, I'm referring to it as a safe travels card. In other words, you got your card, your vaccination card, you upload it into the safe travels, and that's it. I had a great idea come from Representative Morikawa this morning. When you fill out the safe travels uh, little app, right, that says, have you had this symptom or that in the last 48 hours? Right now we ask people, have you had your flu shot? My recommendation this morning after she mentioned this idea to me, it's a great idea, is we change that to have you had your COVID vaccination yet, and you put the date in. That is a very good self-attestation, which will be extremely useful. But I think by May 1st, and we're working on this day and night now, we should be able to get this in place, to have it uploadable in the Safe Travels program so that the neighbor islands and the travel that we do between Oahu and the neighbor islands is seamless. You don't need the test if you have your vaccination card. Long term, I think the vaccination card is sufficient. A very small percentage of people are going to defraud us by making a fake card. We are going to make it clear that that's punishable by serious uh, both state and federal penalties. And frankly, if you really look at the numbers, it's not something we should be worrying about. If 1% of people, let's say, were stupid enough to fake a card, a vaccination card, and you multiply that by the possibility that they actually have asymptomatic COVID, which is about 1 out of 1,200, then verified over and over and over again, that means you're talking about one out of every 120,000 people would be someone who lied about a vaccine and had COVID. That number is so low that when you have 20,000 people a day traveling to Hawaii, it's going to take six days on average before you get somebody that, you know, lied about being vaccinated and was positive. Those are numbers that don't even appear on the radar. There's going to be some COVID around, but we will be vaccinated and safe. Therefore, I'm not worried about that. And I hope against hope that uh, all I can do is give all my time and energy to the project and hope that they accept it. But I hope that they will. So I'm aiming for May, May 1st between the islands here and sometime in June, if not May 1st even, for Trans-Pacific travel. We'd be smart to do it all at once. That's what our team is recommending, the, the team, which includes of course, the instinct commander, General Hara, and health directors, uh, designees, and so on. It's just that the world hasn't quite gotten there yet. And I think people have to get comfortable with the concept. People want a digital uh, vaccine card so they can be verified. That's going to be really challenging because every single state does things a little differently. And computer systems, as sophisticated as they can be, they have to navigate all of these different barriers. And it's hard. So I'm pushing for something that's more sensible a card, we verify it, and we tell people we're going to find the hell out of them. Sorry for that. <laughs> if they uh, if they lie to us, but um, find the heck out of them, I meant. And, <laughs> and that should dissuade people from doing that. Okay. Well, that is the hope. Uh, thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I had heard something about uh, us trying to reach herd immunity, but people saying that uh, or the the scientists are saying we need to hit 85% of people, roughly, maybe more, uh, in order for us to reach that number. And we're not going to be close just because of the people who aren't 
planning on being vaccinated. Is there any other way to getting to herd immunity besides that? Yes, there is a good way. Although, I mean, well, I'll say this. There is a there is a way, and we're going to do it. It's people who have had COVID. So what will mm-hmm. happen will be is we will get to a million people vaccinated in our state out of 1.4 million, but we will also have confirmed 30,000 or 32,000 cases of COVID and another 60,000 or so cases that were never confirmed because people didn't go get tested. So now you're talking about 1.1 million out of 1.4 million people that will have either immunity from having had COVID or the vaccination. And that gets you to herd immunity. Now, the 85 percent, that's these people guessing. We don't know. Mm. But if it's, you know, if it's 1.1 million people that have experienced either a vaccine or COVID, that's 78.6 percent of our population. A lot of people think it's 70 percent of individuals need to have immunity one way or another to get herd immunity going. I think we will get there on or around July 1st when, um, you know, basically a million people have been vaccinated or got their one shot from Johnson Johnson or both shots from, you know, the, the Moderna or Pfizer companies and the other individuals that have had COVID. So that's how you do it. Now, we'll keep pushing. So in the month of July, in the month of August, then our kids will be eligible for vaccines. That will help when age 12 to, well, I guess 12 to 16 for Pfizer and 12 and up for everybody else. People will start getting vaccinated there, too, because they're going to go back to school and they don't want to miss school and they don't want to shut down their classrooms. So I would predict about half of the students at first will probably, with their family, decide to get vaccinated. I hope it's just one shot because I got a 14-year-old. She only wants one shot. She's got to do this. Uh, It's been clear. But if we do that, that's another 80,000 people that now you're talking about uh, almost it's 1,080,000 divided by 1.4 million. And you're getting to that number you mentioned. Okay. Oh, you made me do math again. It's too early in the morning for that. But it is I got, very I got early. you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Guarantee you got herd immunity. Don't, okay. you know, we're not going to quibble over that last percent. We're talking, sorry, with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green about COVID-19. We've got some different issues going on with people who are fully vaccinated. Can you help people understand why it's still important for fully vaccinated people to still wear masks and social distance? Yes. So the, the most important thing to share is that even if you're fully vaccinated, you have at least a 5% chance of not having immunity. If these vaccines are very good. They're much better than the flu shots that we've gotten historically, but they're still not 100%. And so you just don't want to catch COVID if you're not, you know, if you're not 100% safe. So that's important. Also, though there does appear to be what's called significant sterilization immunity, and meaning that you get the shots and you're, you're not likely to carry much virus in your upper airways, you still can carry some. So if you're out there and you have another illness, you have a cold or you get lung disease or whatever, and you're coughing on people and you have had the vaccine, you could still have some capacity, some capacity to spread it. So it's just during a pandemic, the smart thing to do, to still be safe when you're in groups. You'll be able to wear a lot less, uh, a lot masks, a lot less of the time, a lot fewer days uh, as we go forward. We'll certainly be able to reduce those mandates when we're outdoors and not in clusters with people. But you still can spread some virus. Also, it's just good policy because we need to trust one another. And right now, there are a certain percentage of people that just 
would happily tell you they've been vaccinated just to not wear the mask. And so Ooh. we're trying to keep a standard mm. in place, you know, to make sure that people are honorable about this. It's coming, though. A time will come early in the summer when we should be able to back off on some of our mandates. Uh, I think it's probably going to be mask wearing outdoors. It'll be nice if people keep one in their pocket. So if they happen to stop and talk with five or six friends or they go to a beach park, but they're not yet away from the crowds, that would be the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, But you can spread it. The other thing is uh, I want to reiterate why it's so valuable to get vaccinated, even though you could catch the virus uh, if you're in the unlucky 5% or unlucky maybe 20% from the Johnson Johnson. And that's because people who have been vaccinated are having much more mild disease. I mean, way milder. They're not going to die if they've received a vaccine or both uh, shots. Mm -hmm. You're going to have very mild disease. You're not going to end up in the intensive care unit. And frankly, that's as big a part of the victory as stopping the disease altogether. Stopping fatality, stopping severe disease is super valuable. So all of these are considerations. I just hope that people realize we're, we're beginning to get to the end of this. It's amazing. We're already now into April. It's April 9th, right? And so uh, in three weeks, the, you know, the prospect of us being somewhat immune as a state goes way up. And mm-hmm. then another four weeks later, it looks great. So people should be, they'll be celebrating those victories. Okay, thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Real quick, uh, off of Facebook, from Alicia Camacho, she asked, what are uh, your thoughts on breastfeeding and the mother being vaccinated or the breastfeeding mother not being vaccinated? Uh, she says there's hardly any studies out there, so she's just curious. I totally support breastfeeding. It's one of the best things you can do for the immunity of your baby. Uh, so do that. And there's not been any reason to not get vaccinated uh, either during pregnancy or after pregnancy. And I will say this, one of my team. Uh, just delivered a beautiful baby boy, and that little dude is uh, now five weeks old. And I, I don't want to give too much of her privacy information away, but she is breastfeeding her kid, and she got vaccinated, and it's a safe thing to do. Oh, right. So cool. I think great way. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green wanted to ask you another question from our listener, Bruce, who is asking, he's observing that Maui now has that uh, post-testing program. I think uh, uh, Mayor Victorino got approval from Governor David Ige to require post-testing for travelers coming in. And he's asking, why don't we have that on Oahu? It's it's probably an excessive measure. The pre-testing measure decreases by 88%. That study just came out of the Lancet. Uh, 88% decreased case rates. So that is enough. Really, the testing that would be more opportune would be testing in clusters. It's a waste of a lot of tests, honestly. I do think any extra testing is okay. And right now, Maui is going through their surge. And so I do support whatever Mayor Victorino recommends because it is complicated on the ground. People want extra interventions. But that is not what's going to ultimately stop cases in Maui. There's extremely few cases that come through travel after a pretest. Extremely few. Doing a couple extra thousand tests a day, four or five thousand extra tests a day on Maui, should be done at areas where there has been a hot spot. And all that extra energy and resource should be put into masks instead. That's a better bang for the buck. But there's no reason not to do all of these things when you're in a surge. So that's really the deal. Now, if you were to do that on Oahu and try to do 15,000 tests after arrival, first of all, you would waste um, millions and millions of dollars. You spend an incredible amount of time. And basically, that is just a mechanism to shut down travel again. You will 
discourage any travelers. People who are proposing additional testing on arrival in general are saying they want to pump the brakes on any travel to the state. It is not travel to the state that's our problem. It's clusters and community spread. Mm. I don't know how many times we're going to have to go over that. <laughs> proven, you know, many times. But the much better use of our energy right now would be to accelerate vaccinations. In fact, it would be even better to vaccinate all of our people and then vaccinate travelers would even be a better uh, move rather than doing extra tests because the tests are even, you know, a PCR test is six times as expensive as a shot. Just think about that. Um, I'm not advocating that really. I'm really advocating we vaccinate all of our people, but we should use all of our energy to do that now. And any additional post-arrival test um, is kind of, uh, uh, it's good, but it's not as effective as other modalities to stop the spread of the virus. One, really, you can even just do this yes or no. Uh, will there be an extension on the eviction moratorium? I hope that there will be. I think that we need to do that until we have really opened up all business opportunities so people can pay their bills. And I expect that we'll continue to do that. Uh, but we're also being mindful that uh, owners have to pay their mortgages, too. So we have to give them some kind of fair dispensation also. Mm-hmm. So the answer is, is like want to say thank you again to the Lieutenant Governor, Josh Green. Thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Appreciate it. Keep the faith. Get your vaccines.